We'll be looking at Isaiah 40, at least some verses from Isaiah 40 later. Exodus, first Exodus 14. So we continue to look at the fear of God, how we are to be known as God-fearers. Tonight, beginning to look at the God whom we fear. We should be serious about obedience to God. That is part of that fear. But also there is to be an awe when we think of the God whom we serve, the one whom we live for as he grows bigger in our minds. It should lead us to worship in reverence and in awe, the scriptures tell us. Tonight we want to consider his great power, that he is beyond measure, beyond compare. The more we learn about him, the more in awe we should be of him as infinite power and his infinite wisdom, his infinite glory. We look at his power as it pertains to the deliverance of his people out of Egypt, found in Exodus chapter 14. You remember the ten plagues had occurred just before this, and the people of Israel were in captivity for over 400 years, and the Lord was able to deliver them. And as they were going forth, Pharaoh changed his mind about letting the people go, and we see the Lord's great deliverance. Listen to the words of Exodus 14, starting verse 1. Then and the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians." It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. 
And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw them, that is the Egyptian forces, into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. So far the reading of God's own holy word. Dear brothers and sisters, we forget very quickly how powerful our God is. Perhaps we read this story, we think, well, that must have been some sort of a, I don't know, some sort of a story that got blown out of proportion. We don't know if we even really believe that God could do this. And yet exactly as it's recorded here, this is exactly what God did. He is the one who delivers his people. He is the one who is powerful to save. And when we are surrounded by those who would threaten us, even as the, the Egyptian host threatened the people of God, we know that our God can deliver, that he's powerful to save. It's only when we take our eyes off of God and look around at the world with all of its problems that we become afraid. It reminds us of Peter's uh, experience uh, in Matthew chapter 14 where he, sa- he sees the Lord Jesus on the waters, walking in the waters, and he, he says, if it is you, command me to come to you. And he begins to walk to the Lord Jesus, and then he looks around and he sees the wind and the waves, and he, he begins to drown because he takes his eyes off the Lord. So too, when we take our eyes off the Lord, we lose sight of how great he is, and we begin to fear what man can do. We become afraid of our enemies. We see them 
take down our giant buildings with airplanes. We see them attack our armies with their weapons and we begin to fear what man can do. We forget who God is. God's been so domesticated today in in many churches that we lose sight of his power and his glory and we're We're even told we don't want to reflect too much on that because that will just make us afraid of him when in fact the scriptures tell us that it leads us to awe. If we look at it properly, it leads us to awe. We're to worship him with reverence and with awe, the writer of Hebrews tells us. We're to draw near to him, to worship, to bow down. Israelites had just come out of Egypt. They'd seen the Lord's power in the ten plagues. You see there in Exodus chapter 7 through 12, what he had done, how he had delivered the people, that the gods of Egypt were nothing. They kept, the Egyptians kept looking to see if their gods were, were going to stand up to Israel's God, and he continually showed his power over these, these idols. They could not stand before him. To the point where finally the Egyptians pleaded with the people, leave, leave this place. And and they assumed that they would take God with them and that they would no longer have to experience his wrath and to see his power. Yet we know that God is everywhere and that God continues to do his holy will. Today something different is happening. Man thinks that God has been rendered unnecessary by man's accomplishments. God is not great, declared one atheist some years ago, and he is no longer with us. The reason our culture can say that with ever-increasing boldness is because it has become untethered from the Bible. It, It doesn't know the stories of God and his great power. It doesn't reflect upon God and his great power to create with a word. Culture no longer believes the Bible, no longer knows what God reveals about himself in the Bible. God is indeed great and he determines the affairs of man. He is in heaven and does whatever he pleases, the psalmist says. That's what we need to remember. That's the God whom we fear. By the time of the events of Exodus 7 through 14, the Egyptian empire had dominated the world for centuries. We think about countries today and we think about empires, perhaps the latest being the the British Empire. We might even talk about the United States as an empire to some degree. And, And yet these are so short in the scheme of things, in the history of the world. They are a blip on the historical scene. But the Egyptian empire was... Dominant for centuries, seemingly invincible. It seemed that God's people would be swallowed up, being in bondage for over 400 years. The Lord comes to them through his servant Moses and says, I will display my glory in the deliverance of my people. And when Moses stood before Pharaoh, he said, Yeah, right. Who is this God that you proclaim, I don't believe in him. I have no reason to submit to him. And we see that similar response today when we speak of who God is. Yet even before 
This time God had revealed His power throughout history. God said, I will display my glory in the deliverance of my people. And here in this account of His powerful deliverance of His people, we see that even before the waters come crashing down, the chariot wheels are are being uh, clogged there in the softness of the ground. God shows that these these tools that stand against Him are ineffectual even before He brings His judgment. We're in a time period when, where man's pride has grown beyond measure and we must not forget how God often reveals his glory in times such as this where he says, I will deliver. I will show myself powerful to save and we ought to pray that God's glory might be seen and we would understand how great and glorious he is We lose sight of it, even as the disciples did. You remember when Jesus is in the boat and he tells the wind and the waves to to be still and they they know these these stories from the Old Testament. They've heard them. they've, They've studied them and yet they could say, who is this? And even the winds and the waves obey him. We have to marvel at our God, at the Lord Jesus Christ and his power. Look at the Israelites' response to Egypt's renewed attacks. They're afraid, verse 10 says. And what is their response? What is their, uh, uh, their, their go-to? They, they, says, they, they, they said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? What have you done? <laughs> you've drawn attention to us. You've, you've left us to have to explain this, and, and, and we're not sure that we're, that we're strong in ourselves. And God says, you're not. You're to be proclaiming my strength in all of your weakness. What was their response? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? What an incredible statement after the Lord has just shown his power in those ten plagues and in the words of Moses before the people and before Pharaoh, what does Moses say? He says, fear not the Egyptians. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And we know that There were nations that continued to attack the people of God, but these individuals whom the Lord judged were never seen again. The people were delivered. But in this moment, they they preferred bondage over freedom. They did not realize the gift of freedom that the Lord had given to them. They did not realize also the responsibility that had been given to them to proclaim his greatness and his glory. They simply wanted God to go before them and take care of all of their concerns without having to say or do anything. And oftentimes we think that way. If God is so great, why am I suffering? Why am I facing these challenges? Very often it is in those moments where God is testing us that we would go deeper in our faith, deeper in our recognition of our dependence upon Him, our need of Him. 
Well, you heard what happened in the narrative. I'm not going to reread it, but look, look what this display of power does in the people. Verse 31, when they saw the power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Do you believe in a God who is to be feared like this? Or, or do you think, well, he's, he's like a lot of the, the negotiators today, the, the, the great world leaders. We kind of just try to come to an agreement. We kind of come to a, a compromise because we certainly don't uh, imagine that we, we would have dominance. Is he one that's merely trying to keep everybody content in their own path? You think that he pleads with people to believe in him from a position of need or a position of weakness. Well, certainly that's not the view that the Bible gives us of who God is. He's not sitting in heaven hoping that some will come to him. He is doing whatever he pleases, and that is he's bringing glory to himself through the salvation of the nations. He's calling lost sinners to come to bow down to him, to believe in him, to find life in him. And he's protecting his church. He's protecting his people. God is greater than all our enemies. He has more power than anyone or anything. When the people saw God's power, they feared him and they believed in him, it says in verse 31. They trusted in him, is another way of putting it. He put them in a position where the only place they could look for help was up. And increasingly, we find ourselves in that circumstance where where more and more the church seems to be uh, the center of the target from the world's attacks. And we think, boy, we're not so great and mighty. We're not so influential. We're not so welcomed in the world. What do we do? We look up. We recognize that God is... saving people through his word, through the actions of his church. God is looking to be praised and worshipped. We're not supposed to say, well, look what we've created. Look what we've done. Look at the size of our buildings. Look at the size of our denominations. Look at the size of of our membership. Rather, we are to point to God and say, to God be the glory, as we heard this morning. The only logical response is, uh, is what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 33 when he says that the nations are to, what? Fear God. To be amazed at what he does. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. How do we stand in awe of God? How do we grow in the fear of God in the right sense with a, with a proper awe and reverence? By reading through his word, reading through the Old Testament, the historical portions where God has delivered his people. This is the God who reigns today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. One Old Testament passage which especially emphasizes the greatness of God by comparing him to us is Isaiah 40. I invite you to turn there in Isaiah 40, where it speaks of our God's greatness. The Bible speaks in terms of human characteristics, though we know God does not have a body as we do, but he speaks in terms of human characteristics that we might understand just the, the, the vast difference between our uh, creator and we, his creatures. God is great and greatly to be praised. How great? Listen to what... Now the Lord speaks through Isaiah 
give us proper thoughts of him. Verse 12, Isaiah says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens with his hand? Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? The answer is God has done this. God's so great, as we look at the first part of that verse, he's so great that he measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. Children, I don't know if you've baked with your parents, but you use measuring spoons, and quite often uh, uh, it's very small measurements, but how much water do you think you can hold in your, the palm of your hand? Maybe up to a tablespoon if you're real careful. Maybe. And here it says, God holds all of the waters that cover the earth, two-thirds of the earth in the hollow of his hand. So great is our God. Just last night, we were with some of you and we were seeing pictures of, of uh, diving to see uh, whale sharks in the Caribbean and, and just marveling at the, the size of these whale sharks, 20, uh, 30 to 40 feet long, and, and they're swimming in the ocean and, and, and there are the little people swimming next to them. And yet, the scriptures say that, that God holds the, all of these waters in the hollow of his hand. How deep does the ocean go? Miles and miles down, I believe it's somewhere near 40,000 feet deep. Mariana Trench. Uh, Amazing that, that God could speak of himself and say, this is who I am. Stand in awe of me. Well, look at the next part of that. Next part of verse 12, who has measured with the breadth of his hand and marked off the heavens? The hand breadth is a way that they would measure in the Old Testament from, from pinky to thumb, hand outstretched, maybe six inches, maybe eight inches if you have a large hand. And, and we think of that and uh, then it says here that the, the Lord is the one who measures the heavens with, the, with a hand breadth. That is how great he is. Children, what's the distance across the universe? It's nearly impossible to fathom. Some of the figures I found, the nearest star other than the sun is about four and a half light years away. Well, light travels at the speed of 180,000 miles per second. That makes the nearest star over 26 trillion miles away. That's the nearest star. 26 trillion miles. The distance across the entire universe is mind-boggling, yet God says, I measure it, the breath of my hand. The smallness of these two measures, the hollow of the hand and the breadth of the human hand are intended to show us the immensity of our God. We are to stand in awe of him, to be amazed That he can deal with the entire universe as we might deal with the most trivial objects. And these are but the outer fringes of his work, we read in Job 26, verse 14. Isaiah goes on, Who has held the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? We could think of all the mountains, Mount Everest, K2, and all of the mountains in, in the Himalayas and elsewhere. And it says he weighs them in a balance. Greatness of our God in 
comparison to the world in which we live should lead us to be in awe of him, to fear him. He's greater than the nations, verses 15 to 17. Listen to what it says there. Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. Lebanon was known for its great cedars, its lumber. It wouldn't suffice for fuel for him, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are, they are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Isaiah gives us an intensive in the opening of those verses. Behold, or surely the nations are like a drop from a bucket. What Isaiah is saying is, think of this. All of the nations, all of them throughout history are but a drop in the bucket. The Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Han Dynasty in in China, and all of these great dynasties, Persian Empire, Babylonian Empire, they're, they're as nothing, no more than a drop from a bucket. The nations are but dust on a scale. The dust is nothing, having no effect on the scale. So are the nations before the Lord. From a human perspective, there have been great nations and empires on earth. But before God, who is infinitely greater than all the nations, they are as nothing. It doesn't mean that he has no concern for them. We know that from the scriptures where he has concern for the great Assyrian empire. When he says through Jonah, I have pity upon that great city, the city of Nineveh, he has concern. He cares for all people. But this shows that The nations have no power over God. He's great over the nations. Isaiah goes on, he's superior to the rulers of the nations. We see this, we saw that in Exodus 14. We see it here again. Listen to what he says, verses 23 and 24 of Isaiah chapter 40. He is the one who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth and and grown up when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. He brings princes and rulers to nothing. He speaks his word and it comes to pass. He is the one who speaks and it happens. Looking for that verse in Isaiah 40, and I'm not seeing it, but he speaks in that way too. The one who has power over the nations. When rulers and nations stand up and try to establish a new world order, the, the Lord in heaven laughs. He says, they have no, they have no permanence. His rule is not threatened. His laws are not destroyed. We could go on. There's so much more we could consider. He says, to whom will you compare me that I should be like him? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Verse 26. Who created all these? He brings out the stars, their host by number, calling them all by name. The stars, the billions and billions of stars. He calls them by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And then he gives this word of comfort. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. He knows. He gives power 
to the faint, to him who has no might, he increases strength. We are not making a name for ourselves. The Lord gives us strength that we might make much of him. His greatness, the psalmist says, no one can fathom. Psalm 145, verse 3. And again, Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe before him. That's the point in considering all of these these or these few passages, these few things, that we might stand in awe of our God, that we might fear Him, that we might fear Him and not the nations. We would obey Him, that we would love Him and serve Him. We don't consider this teaching of God so that we can go around in arrogance, threatening others with the judgment of God. We're humbled when we consider the greatness of God. We're left in awe of Him. We're comforted in knowing that He is a God who is for us. That's what Moses says. He says, consider, fear not the nations, fear not the the enemy, but rather fear the Lord and find in Him your trust. For these who you see who stand against you, you will not see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent, not murmuring against Him, but trusting in Him. Hoping in Him. That's what we see here tonight in the celebration of Lord's Supper. This great God, the one who calls us to draw near in faith. He calls us to look to His Son to be delivered from the judgment that we deserve. We think of that water that the Israelites walked through and often we're reminded that this is a picture of that judgment, the flood judgment There they walk through the waters as as God parts them, God having gone before them. And we see that picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in going before us, taking the judgment upon himself that we might walk through, delivered from the judgment we deserve for our sins. But those who refuse him, those who become bold and arrogant against him, will face eternal judgment as we see in the Egyptians, refusing to bow in faith before the Lord. They faced a final judgment. When we reflect upon the greatness of our God, that he is for us in Christ, when we reflect upon the greatness of God, that he is in heaven doing all that he pleases, that is to lead us to praise and to worship. Tonight, as we gather uh, here to worship, these uh, reminders ought to lead us to grow in love and to be strengthened in our trust of him. Let's ask that he would help us in that now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we marvel that you are a God who is so great, above nature, above nations, above rulers and all powers and authorities. You are a God who delivers as we see tonight, as we have set before us the bread and the wine, mindful that You are a God who who does bring judgment, but that you are a God who provides deliverance from that judgment, namely in your Son. Oh, may that lead us to rejoice. May that lead us to sing your praises and to marvel at your great love for us. To go forth with a great confidence that you are accomplishing your purposes to the ends of the earth, that you have welcomed us into your presence. O Lord, strengthen our faith, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.